A few weeks back, I promised that there'd be a part two in our series of episodes on green cards, and here it is. Today, we're speaking with a familiar voice to regular podcast listeners, Crystal Osman, as we discuss the various paths to permanent residence in the United States. One caveat, this episode was recorded prior to the release of the new EB-5 rules, so we won't be discussing those in our conversation today. However, if you'd like to hear Crystal and Stevie Allaire discuss the new EB-5 rules, go back to our recently recorded bonus episode, which appears earlier in our podcast feed. Also, stay tuned today for a preview of our new sister podcast, Musicians vs. the World. Not only is it our sister podcast because it's also produced by Frosted Lens Entertainment, it's actually hosted by my sister, Christine Smith. Christine is an incredibly talented concert pianist, and if you have any interest in music at all, you will love the conversation she's going to have starting this Labor Day weekend. More on that to come, but for now, this is the Everyday Immigration Podcast. I'm David Wilkes. With me, I have a brilliant colleague. Uh, she is a great person to work with. She's smart. She's nice. She's also my boss. It has nothing to do with the kind things that I just said. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. <laughs> is, she's Crystal Osmond. She's a partner here at Miller Mayor. Uh, Crystal, say hello. Hello, everyone. And thank you, Dave, very much for allowing me to join you today. As much as I ever allow my boss to do anything. Uh, but anyway, uh, Crystal, uh, one of the things I like to do when I have somebody on is talk a little bit about how immigration has impacted them, how they come in contact. You're an immigration lawyer, so I imagine there's many ways that immigration has affected your life. But why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So it's obviously a great question. And um, like every American, I'm sure there are many great immigration stories in my family. Um, unfortunately, for a variety of reasons. I don't have intimate details of those. Um, but of course, immigration impacts my life on a daily basis. I mean, I spend more time at the office with you, of course, and our colleagues and our clients than I do at home. Um, I think prior to practicing immigration law, um, like a lot of Americans, I had a misconception that you, if you wanted to come to America, you just signed up and you did. And that it was a very easy um, system to go through. Um, and unfortunately, that's just not the case. Um, there is a system that is very difficult to go through the process. Um, it is also, of course, very difficult to even if you are qualified to get through that process in part because um, petitions are adjudicated quite harshly, particularly under this administration. So sometimes we have clients who, even though they're clearly qualified for a particular classification to come to the U.S. Um, to get a green card, um, they're often barred from doing so. So it can be, I think, a very heart-wrenching process. Um, it can also be very uplifting, you know, particularly yeah. when you meet clients maybe when they're very young and you help them get one um, particular come here temporarily maybe um, and then help them through the green card process and maybe help them all the way through to acquiring citizenship that's often yeah, that's you know, a great very, moment when they is. when they bring that certificate in their little exactly. flag yeah exactly Did so so did you um, always want to be an immigration attorney or how did that happen? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they don't even tell you that there's a thing called immigration law in law school, right? right? Unless right, you're, right. you know, someone who's uh, very keyed in and I was not. <laughs> um, um, I did not know that was a thing. It was honestly um, a stroke of good luck that I ended up here at Miller Mayor and am able to work with, um, you know, some of the best minds in immigration here. Steve Yolair, of course, is, is very well known um, internationally, in, in fact, in immigration law. 
So no, it was just a, a chance and it was a, a very good fit though. Um, I honestly enjoy what I do uh, and love coming here every day. That's great. So let's talk about green cards, right? Finally so, green, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think I mentioned on a previous episode that for a while they were not green mm-hmm. and it caused trouble with local Very law confusing. enforcement. So they made them green again, <laughs> along with all good. the eagles and the flags exactly. and the, everything that's on them. Exactly. Very clearly American. Uh, so why don't you talk a little bit about permanent residence? What is permanent residence? So permanent residence is interesting, right? Um, for a number of reasons. And I think Uh, The thing that strikes me the most is that when you obtain permanent residence, when you get that green card, the government actually holds you to it, Hmm. meaning, you know, in other categories, you can leave, you can just go and you don't have to come back. Whereas if you get a green card, the immigration service actually requires you to make this your primary residence, your permanent home. So you get this client, uh, this client this question every day, as do I, but wait, I got a great job in Australia. What do you mean I have to stay here? You know, what do I do? Um, And the answer is you have to engage in careful planning at a minimum, or you might very well lose that green card um, because it is permanent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, In contrast, when you go to the next step, it's interesting to note that once you become a citizen, you can leave. You can leave leave forever. (laughs) You do not have to come back. So I think that's um, the thing that stands out to be the most. So what can you do as a green card holder? You can live and work anywhere in the U.S. You can work for any employer. You can live in Florida or you can live in California. And of course, you can also, um, drumroll please, you can also pay our government taxes on your worldwide. <laughs> Congratulations, income. right? So um, that's also an important Here's thing. Here's your card and your tax bill. Exactly. That is a very important thing, though, to keep in mind when you become a permanent resident is that you should not only be contacting us, but you should be contacting someone who is uh, well-versed in tax planning. Yeah. So that just gets again to this idea that there are always sacrifices. There are Mm -hmm. trade-offs to every decision that Mm -hmm. you make in immigration. And I think sometimes that can be difficult for people to realize, um, particularly if, you know, the people that you know, go to U.S. schools, they tend to have been very successful people. Yeah. And, you know, there haven't really been limitations on them because they've been so successful. And then exactly. suddenly they face this huge bureaucracy mm-hmm. uh, where it's not always so easy. No, not always so easy to go to the next step, even if they're dying to stay here and pay taxes, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? They'll pay double taxes, exactly. you know? Exactly. Um, no, it definitely is. Um, we definitely don't make it easy on people. So how long do you think it takes people? Is it something that they can just, you know, roll up to the local USCIS field office and say, I'd like to get a green card, please? Mm, I wish it was that easy. Um, You know, it really varies, I would say, um, depending on the pathway that you take. Um, But let's say, for example, that maybe you're a student here. Let's say you go to college, you're here for four years just to make it easy. Um, You could stay here another potentially three years and work pursuant to um, a work authorization that's associated with your student status. So that could be another three years. You could also then stay here for six years um, in 
a category that I think you talked about previously, which is H-1B, which is the most common uh, temporary worker status mm -hmm. to be here. Um, and, and then you might be able to get a green card, you know, at the end of the day then. So you're looking at, you know, if you took that whole long attenuated pathway, that could be maybe 13 years. Um, let's say you're someone who's super duper talented. Maybe you're a movie star in Europe. Um, you could go straight to applying for a green card and you might have that green card in six months or so, depending mm -hmm. on where you're from. Uh, similar if you're lucky to maybe marry some handsome U.S. citizen, you might be able to get a green card in about a year or so. And so. they don't have to be handsome, just to be true, clear. You can true, marry any true. U.S. citizen. You can marry any U.S. citizen, but as you always tell people, it has to be for love. That's right. Not that's be right. for the green card. So I mean, I guess it could be for economic <laughs> reasons, too, but it cannot—we're we, not— doing any of these fraudulent exactly. marriages here. It cannot be for the green card. So it really depends. And that's, of course, why you come see us. So you can talk through all those options. So uh, with that, you know, you mentioned a couple times, depending on where you're from. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you mean by that? So that's a very good question. So before we go into talking about any of these ways to get a green card, it, it might bear... Uh, prefacing the discussion by a talk of what we call the visa bulletin, um, or I guess rather you have to check the bulletin to see where you are. It's basically the wait line. Exactly. So how this works is um, there are only a limited number of green cards in almost every category, right? Um, and unfortunately, in every year, more people usually apply in those categories than there are spaces available. So what does that do? It clogs the system. Mm -hmm. It creates a waiting line so that certain people have to wait potentially a very long time to get a green card. Um, and certain people, I mean, individuals of certain nationalities. So the waiting line, the more applicants are from countries like India or China. Because um, each country can only send 77% exactly. of the limited exactly. pool. You're doing a better job of explaining than me. No, no you're fine. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, um, so yes, you, there are only a certain number of A, green cards that are available, and A, certain number that are available to each country each year. So, of course, that just creates a system where people are waiting for potentially a long period of time before they can actually get their green card. So if, for example, you may have an Indian-born doctor, mm -hmm. that Indian-born doctor may be looking at a multi-decade wait That's right. for that a green card. is what is proposed right now. I mean, can um, you imagine? I mean, they're doing this service, right? I mean, we need the doctors, particularly in rural exactly. areas. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting for these mm -hmm. green cards. Exactly. No, it's a it's a very unfortunate set of circumstances. And it also really doesn't make sense for a number of reasons, um, in particular, because we often educate these individuals. We give them this great education and then what we say, see you later at right, the end of right. the day. So take um, those technologies exactly. elsewhere, please. So that's never a good situation. Um, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to be necessarily alleviated anytime soon. So um, depending on where you're from, you might have a different immigration strategy, um, you know, if you're from India versus someone who's from the UK. Right. So why don't we talk a little bit about the different types, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, certainly people that do get green mm -hmm. cards or asylum and, and refugee status, I think those are more discussed on the news, though. So I really want to talk about the ones that people don't talk about as often. 
So uh, really, it seems like you could get it through family, through the lottery, or even what mm -hmm. you do for a living. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so there are two primary, primary ways that most people get a green card. Um, one is people who are lucky enough to have a U.S. citizen or a permanent resident family member in the U.S. Um, they can often then be sponsored by that individual. Um, if you are also lucky enough to have an employer or a talent that qualifies you for a green card in a particular category, you might be able to immigrate on the basis of that, um, either your talent or your job. Um, and then sort of the wild card option for getting a green card, if you will, is called the diversity lottery. Um, and that's sort of an interesting category. So there is about 50,000 green cards available each year to people from designated countries. Um, and those are not traditional countries um, where we think of people as immigrating from. Those are not the Indians. Those are not the Chinese. Um, these are people generally um, from Africa or maybe from Eastern Europe, um, uh, people that we want here um, in order to, as the name implies, encourage diversity. Again, only 50,000 available each year. But nevertheless, if you um, qualify, you should definitely apply. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. There's absolutely no reason not to apply in that particular category. And this tends to be the, the category that's the most under attack mm -hmm. politically. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there is some idea that maybe this would go to a different type of green card sometime yeah. in the future. Uh, but we don't know. Exactly. Exactly. I, for one, <laughs> really like the diversity lottery, as I'm sure you do as well, but we'll see what happens. Again, two main ways to get a green card. One is family-based and one's employment-based. Um, for the family-based category, again, if you are lucky enough to have a spouse, parent, or child, um, and you are a U.S. citizen, um, then you can sponsor any of those individuals without those persons waiting in that line that we talked about earlier. So this is what we call the immediate relative category, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, you know, in our view, I think usually when we hear someone say that they have a relative, um, a qualifying relative who's willing to sponsor them in that category, it's like, woo! Yeah. <laughs> Easy one. <laughs> That's great. So those particular individuals are not subject to any waiting line. Um, U.S. citizens can also sponsor additional family members, right? So they can sponsor um, children who are over 21. Um, they can also sponsor their siblings, even. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, those are categories where there are you know, that limited number of slots available each year. And so you're going to wait a while to get a green card in any of those categories. I think siblings of U.S. citizens from the Philippines, I think it's 1995, they have to have started their process. It's a very long time. Yeah, so it's 24, 25 yes. years. It's crazy. It is a very long time. Um, and similarly, um, permanent residents can also sponsor family members for a green card, but it's only spouse um, or children who are over under 21. And again, there are limited numbers of those particular um, green cards that are available each year. So you're going to wait um, if you are sponsored by a permanent resident relative. Um, but nevertheless, um, great categories to be in. Um, you don't have to secure an employer, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so family-based immigration, great option if you have it, right? right. <clears throat> but more likely than not, most people don't necessarily have a qualifying relative, right? So right. that's when we turn to the employment-based categories. We'll be back with more after a short break.
As regular listeners know, my firm, Miller Mayer, has been very supportive of the podcast. They would also like to be supportive of the podcast listeners. If you email podcast at millermayer.com, that's podcast at M-I-L-L-E-R-M-A-Y-E-R.com, you can receive a 10% discount on your next immigration consultation. Hi there. My name is Christine Smith, and I love music. I love it so much, in fact, that for the past 20 years, I decided to make a career out of it. I've met a lot of great people along the way and learned a lot of interesting things. So I decided to start a podcast called Musicians vs. the World. Together, we'll be discussing topics related to the day-to-day life of the professional musician next door. We'll have advice from experts on topics from practicing and auditions. These students get 10 or 15 minutes to show what they've done with their life. It's a very intense process. To education, professional development. Yeah, and all I ever wanted to do was play in an orchestra. Teaching, performing. I tell you, I would much rather sing opera than listen to it. (laughs) Taxes, business management and everything in between. Our pupils dilate and our blood pressure changes and it also releases dopamine. So music is a perfect drug of happiness. So I am excited. I hope that you'll join me for my first episode this Labor Day. Until then, I am off to practice. See you soon. So let's talk about, you know, what you do getting you a green card. So you you mentioned this a little bit. So we have our, what was it? The actor, actress from overseas. That's that's Mm -hmm, excellent. mm -hmm, And get mm -hmm. a green card. Uh, I think our first lady got a green card through her modeling career. That is exactly right. Uh, You know what? Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, let's absolutely. So technically there are five, right? Employment-based green card categories. Um, EB1. EB2, EB3, and EB4, and EB5, right? Um, I would say the most common that people hear about and apply in, right, are EB1, EB2, and EB3. Yeah. Um, more, um, and for, that's for a number of reasons, right? There's more numbers available in those particular categories, um, 40,000 in each, as opposed to the 10,000 that are available in each of EB4 and EB5. Um, but should we look a little bit more Let's closely? Let's look at them, yeah. Um, so EB1 is a great category to be in, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because there is, um, well, I guess maybe we should back up a step and start with the fact that our employment-based immigration system is usually, um, was implemented, if you will, to protect U.S. workers Mm -hmm. with that goal in mind, right? And so what we do is we require a lot of employers to essentially test the labor market to make sure there are no able and willing U.S. workers available to fill a particular position. And if, in fact, there is a U.S. worker who is available to fill a position, that essentially stops the employment-based green card process, right, Um, so that that foreign national can no longer secure a green card. Um, Because it's important, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we want to make sure... Uh, you know, there's always this balance, mm-hmm. right, in, in immigration law, right? We want to make sure we're bringing in innovative people exactly. and building up, you know, our population. It's mm-hmm. like football where we're stealing the best players from the other team, right? Exactly. Um, but on the other <laughs> hand, we want to take care of the people that are here. So we build in these protections. We do. Um, and to, to try to make sure that we aren't 
mm-hmm. harming the the people that are are already here because we do owe a duty to the, exactly. the people that are here as a society and that's why we try to come up with rules but they're not always effective in what they're the, the, the what they're trying to do isn't always what happens and, and sometimes both sides get not that it's really sides, mm-hmm, but both mm-hmm. the American worker and the immigrant end up getting hurt. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And so that process, that um, requirement that employers um, actually test the labor market, recruit for U.S. workers, inheres in a number of these immigration categories that we talk about. Um, however, going back to the EB1 category, if you're lucky enough to qualify in that category, you are not required to test the labor market. Um, so that's sort of a benefit of being in that EB1 category. So, yeah, the idea being mm-hmm. you are such an extraordinary person that mm-hmm. we know for sure that you're not going to harm the labor pool at all. Right. You're just going to innovate. You're just going to do great things for the country. So mm-hmm. we're not expecting, we don't even need to test the labor market because we're not worried about it. You're going to you know, bring with you jobs and income and That's all right. sorts of great things. That is right. Um, I think that is the underpinnings of why that particular category doesn't have to test the labor market. And so who falls within that category? So we call it, um, you know, the extraordinary ability visa. So people who are extraordinary at what they do um, can get a green card in this category. Um, What category, meaning what industry? There's no limitation. You could be an actress, you could be a scientist, you Mm -hmm. could be a business person, um, you could be an artist. So if you are considered, you know, at the very uh, pinnacle of your career, at the very top of that field, you could get a a Nobel Prize. Exactly. Have an Oscar, any of those things. Tony's not listed. I've never understood why the Tony (laughs) isn't listed. I don't know if it's like some hatred towards Broadway. (laughs) (laughs) They were the originators. That's right. (laughs) You know? And then also also outstanding individuals, people who are maybe professors um, at universities um, or people who are working at research institutes. Um, and or even private companies exactly. where they have researchers. Mm-hmm. You could get a green card in that category. And then also if you are an important executive or a manager at a company, um, it could be a small company. It could also be Toyota. Um, you could also fall into this EB1 category and then you would not have to be essentially you know, pitted against a, a U.S. worker in order to take that job. Right, because as a manager, you're going to be overseeing and potentially hiring more U.S. Exactly. workers. And again, the idea is you're expanding the pool mm-hmm. rather than taking someone's place. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, and so just looking a little bit more closely at these other categories, there's also the EB2 category. Um, generally, this category is prefaced by that test of the labor market that we talked about. Um, But if you're lucky enough to be doing work that we consider to be in the national interest, um, maybe you're doing research into something that might cure cancer, or you're working on some sort of technology that might help us in some particular area, um, you can actually be exempted from that test of the labor market. Sometimes it's bringing a particular art form to the United States or something a little bit more, less hard science, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it can, yes, it can include persons in the arts. It can also include, again, a wide variety of fields and industries. So um, not just limited to one particular type of job. But there again, we need this skill so much. We're not so worried about you taking the place of a Mm -hmm. U.S. worker. So we're not going to make you go recruit and see if there's a U.S. worker available. 
we think that what you're doing is so important, we just skip that step. We do. We do. Um, and then you can go through a more traditional um, pathway in EB2 um, where you do test the labor market. Um, and those are also um, individuals who are doing something in the sciences, arts, or business. But there is that, um, that initial step that's required. Um, and then probably the most um, common that you hear about is EB3, um, which includes um, people who are workers, um, whether they're skilled workers, right, or people who um, we might might call unskilled workers, though I think that's a bad term for that's them. That's the legal, again, there's a lot of legal mm -hmm. terms. You know, for example, they call foreign nationals aliens in the, <laughs> it's just, there's a lot of the stuff that's built in. Which makes you want to. Yeah, so we, we try our best to filter out some of these exactly. things, but there's only so much we can do because True. it's what the True law story. says. True story. Um, and then uh, not used so much, or at least perhaps not so much a focus of our practice is EB4 category, which tends to focus more on um, religious workers and certain other um, individuals. Um, and then we also have the uh, EB-5 category. So we do a ton of these. Um, EB-5 is also a category where you don't have to do that test of the labor market. It is a category that is available for investors, for people who invest between a half a million and a million dollars in the U.S. economy and create 10 jobs as a result of that investment. I think it's even called the job creation it visa is. in the act. It is. And I think that's a good thing to keep in mind, right? Because uh, you hear in the news a lot about this category that it's people buying a green card um, and while there is an investment component there's also a job creation component so there's um, a very well documented um, you know economic benefit that has arisen as a result of this category um, and you also we do a lot of these um, and it might be a good option for certain people because you can do it through your own business, maybe. Um, if you wanted to come here and set up maybe a manufacturing company or something, um, you could uh, apply for yourself if you invested enough capital in that business for a green card. Um, you could also do it in a more passive manner where you invest through companies that are called regional centers um, that allow you to take a more backseat role um, in the running of that enterprise. So um, not perhaps as well broadcast as other categories, but nevertheless a useful tool. So, uh, you know, it's just very easy to get a green card, right? You just have to... <laughs> Don't Stop I by the local green card store and show your Nobel Prize and get your green card. Exactly. Right? I mean, you know, it is not easy to get a green card. You and I both know that. Um, unfortunately, there are a limited number of options for people that are available. There are a limited number of physical green cards each year. Um, and of course, there is an immigration system that doesn't always um, review the applications it receives, perhaps in a manner that you and I would consider to be fair. Um, so it is definitely not easy. It requires a lot of planning. Um, it requires some foresight. Um, it requires some, you know, hopefully meeting with you and I, <laughs> some professionals. Um, but um, at the end of the day, it's not necessarily going to be a, you know, a snap and you got that green card in your hand. Um, it's going to be more of a process, a much more involved process than that. So if you're concerned that uh, people are, 
very easily getting status in the U.S., you can rest assured rest that that is not that, rest that is not what's happening. Um, it, it is difficult, and honestly, I think given the structures that we have in place, mm-hmm. the infrastructure doesn't really match our current economy. Yeah. It's honestly getting harder, I yeah. think, for people because the infrastructure has not been altered significantly in a number of years. Oh yeah. So um, I, I guess what I would say is that. Uh, you really, you know, to, to your point, you really do want to talk to somebody early on to really kind of figure out because you may not fit very clearly into one category. It may be sort of a strategy of building yourself to become right. a fit into one of That's these categories. Right. I, you know, you and I often meet with people who, you know, we say, you know, you're just shy of, you know, putting yourself in right. this green card category, but, you know, come see me in a year after you've yeah, done focus X, on X, Y, and Z. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, and then you might be able to qualify for a green card in a particular category. So um, there is that sort of pre-planning phase that might have to happen um, in order for you to actually get that green card at the end of the day. Well, Crystal, thanks very much for coming in. I hope you'll come back on. Thank uh, you for having me. Absolutely. This was really fun. The Everyday Immigration Podcast is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment. It's hosted by me, David Wilkes. Special thanks to Miller Mayer for letting us record in its offices and making its staff available to us. As I am an attorney, portions of this production contain attorney advertising and prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. In addition, this podcast is not intended to be legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship between its hosts, its guests, or its listeners. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use and give us a review. You can also connect through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or on the web at frostedlens.com. We'll be back with another episode soon, and we'll see you then.